Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. TPS report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Phil Briggs, a Navy veteran and a guy who's known to hang out with people like the White House Chief of Staff. All right. All right. Maybe it only happened once, but it did happen at one of the most popular veteran awards ceremonies in the country. And we'll get to that later when we hear from our first guest. Uh, Sal Ravandi, President and CEO of the Academy of United States Veterans. She'll share with us her story about going from Iranian immigrant to Texan to serving in the U.S. Army. And now about the glitz and the glam at the fourth annual Vetti Awards happening later this week. And we'll talk with reporter Kayla Jackson about how the Supreme Court recently refused to hear a case about the toxic effects of burn pits. And later, did you make a resolution to drink less in 2019? How's that holding up? We'll hear from an expert. Tech Sergeant Bradley Blair with the Psychological Health Center of Excellence. Tech Sergeant Blair will tell us about the warning signs of becoming an alcoholic and how many drinks are too many drinks. But first, let's take a look at some news. One of the top stories on the veterans' radar today is about the border wall go-fund-yourself situation. And here to talk about it is a very fired-up colleague of mine, Libby Howe. It's a very tough year to be a journalist. And people <laughs> who keep coming at me with the fake news and the misleading media sh- Fine, whatever. But then don't lie in your own f***ing headline. <laughs> this one got you rocking today, huh? It did. It definitely did. All right. Let's start off here. All I know is that your recent article on ConnectingVets.com is an op-ed piece, and it's about Brian Colfage, the Air Force combat veteran, triple amputee, that created the incredibly viral GoFundMe campaign that raised an astonishing $20 million for a border wall. Now the story's taken a new direction, and in fact, several new directions. Tell me what's going on that's got you so hot under the collar. So we kind of have to start with, over the weekend, GoFundMe decided that they were going to refund the $20 million that have been donated to the campaign. Because where the money was supposed to go is no longer where the money is going to go. Ah, okay. So, And we'll get into that later. But in response to that, 
Colfage decided GoFundMe is not going to refund this money. We're, we've still got it. We're going to keep going. So he created an organization called We Build the Wall, Inc. And created a bunch of links for donators to transfer their money from the GoFundMe campaign to We Build the Wall, Inc. So they could move their money from the GoFundMe over to the new organization. So like, not so fast, GoFundMe. My people it want a wall. So if you're not going to help me get it to the government... I'm going to do my own thing, and we're going to do this. Right, correct. So they can move their money over, and it's all now going to be private. It's not going to the government. Kofaj has taken matters into his own hands, and he has his advisory board team, and they're going to do everything that the government can't right now. Hmm. So now what's got you so fired up about this story, though? So one of the first things I saw when I got in this morning was a press release from We Build the Wall, Inc. with the headline... 93% of donors opt in to viral border wall GoFundMe. So Colfage put out a press release that 93% of the donors have moved their money over to We Built the Wall, Inc. It's not true. When you look closer at his very own press release and the numbers in that press release and you do the math yourself, it's not 93%. Hmm. What is it? You have to opt in. It's an opt-in campaign. If you don't say anything, if you don't opt in, your money is going to be refunded in 90 days. 40% of donors have responded. Of that 40%, 93% have transferred their money over. 7% have asked for an immediate refund. The other 93% have transferred their money. So yeah, out of the 40% who have responded, 93% have transferred their money. That leaves out 192,000 donors. When you do that math, only 37% of the total number of donors have transferred their funds. Ah, so his headline makes it sound like everybody that gave to this still wants this to happen, and they're willing to let him and his band of contractors build the wall. Ah, okay. So do we know how many millions of dollars are actually going to build this wall at this point? We don't. There's no—I checked the website, the We Build the Wall, Inc. website for an actual counter— You can't tell how many of the donors or how much money each donor donated. You know what I mean? So we know we know what percentage of donors have transferred their funds, but not how much each of those people donated. So there's really no telling how much actual how much of that 20 million is actually moving over to We Build the Wall, Inc. Hmm. Now, let's back up for one second. Can citizens even give the government money for the project of their choosing? Colfish claimed originally on the original GoFundMe campaign page, he claimed that, yes, in the past, the government has accepted large donations from organizations for certain projects. So here's a thing that I haven't been able to figure out so far. Colfage decided that the government can't handle the funds that he's raising because of the shutdown and because of other diplomatic things. So he's making the project privatized. I think when he started communicating that message was when GoFundMe realized, hey, Colfash said this money was going to the government. Now he's saying it's not. It's not going where donors think it's supposed to. That's why GoFundMe decided to refund all of those people who donated. Which brings me to my whole thing. And I mean, you're free to do with your money what you want. But in a day and an age where we just saw people get scammed for 400K by like a fake homeless guy and two lovebirds. I mean... Is there any assurance that what you're donating to is really legit? Not anymore. And that was what I thought was interesting because GoFundMe did very recently prove that if the money isn't going where the campaign says it should be going, GoFundMe will refund it. And they proved it with the homeless veteran and those two other people. They gave $400,000 back. And normally they even keep a cut of the donation in a refund situation. They didn't keep that cut. They gave all of it back to the 14,000 people who donated. So GoFundMe has proved If they don't think the money is going where it should be, 
they give it back, which is what they're doing in this situation. And they certainly don't want to be on the hook for like 20 mil. You know, a lot that's of money. A, that's a hell of a lot of money. I'm, I'm amazed he got that much, but I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be amazed. Um, you have another theory or another thought on this that I found kind of interesting. Tell me how you find some of this suspect. Uh, what with the government being shut down right now? So Colfage's new organization is supposedly a 5014C nonprofit tax exempt organization. So all of the money he collects is going to go towards social welfare, go towards this wall. It takes months to get that status from the IRS. You had There's a lot of paperwork. There's hoops to jump. There's a process. Right. And I'm sure that process takes even longer when every agency in the government is overloaded with this partial shutdown. Colfage's organization got that status within the last 15 days. It's on his website that they are this organization. If you search the IRS's database of tax-exempt organizations, We Build the Wall, Inc. doesn't come up. And I tried to call their office about this and figure out, how did you get this status so quickly? Why isn't it in this database? Uh, Colfage's media personnel, the phone was not on and the voicemail was full. So I wasn't able to confirm how they got this status. Hmm. You're like a you're like an information pit bull. You just you know you get on a story, you're just not gonna let it go. And uh, are you gonna keep calling these people or? Of course, definitely. Yeah. All right. Tell me where I can find this story. What's the headline? Colfage says ninety three percent support We Build the Wall Inc. That's not true. You find that article at connectingvets.com. And always great having you in the studio. Great reporting, Libby. Let's chat again soon. Thanks, Phil. We are joined on Connecting Vets now by Ms. Asal Rivandi, the president of the Academy of United States Veterans. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. And I'm really glad because I was at your gala last year, the Vetties, and it was a lot of fun. Can I just say, I was sitting there in the cocktail lounge and around one of the pillars in the corners as I was having my drink was none other than General Kelly, the White House Chief of Staff. Yes, that's actually a wonderful story. I always uh, like to say uh, General Kelly crashed our party. He um, asked to to come, which was a true honor for us. And uh, we knew that the White House was pretty um, packed with a lot of activities at the time and the government was about to shut down. So we wanted to kind of leave the appointed and elected officials to themselves. And we were just privileged to know that he was interested in joining us. And and it was definitely an honor to have him. And the party we're speaking of, of course, is the Vetties. And it is an awards ceremony that recognizes the great works and feats and achievements of United States veterans and their impacts on society. First, I, before we get into the nominees and before we talk about some of the great work some of this year's nominees have done, I want to talk a little bit about you. Do you mind if I shine the light back on you for a second? Oh, sure. Thank you. We all <laughs> love to talk about ourselves, you know. <laughs> Asal as Rivandi, I just want to read your, from your bio really quick because I, I, I was taken by this very first couple sentences and... It's as true today as it was then when you were going through it. But you said you were originally from Iran, but you moved to San Antonio, Texas in the 90s. And it was a bit disappointing to come to the States and realize nobody in your high school knew where Iran was. And in today's climate, you might think that that could be a good thing. Share with me how you came about from Iran to Texas and then to serve in the United States Army. Well, my father was a fighter pilot for the Imperial Iranian Air Force, and we were, um, he was politically active after the revolution. And eventually we fled Iran and um, we became refugees to the United 
nations and they sent us to the United States. And since a majority of the pilots were trained at, at San, in San Antonio, Texas at Lackland Air Force Base um, in the 70s, um, he chose to move to San Antonio so he can reunite with some of his other you know, fellow um, Air Force um, pilots that uh, were at the time living in San Antonio. And um, we just kind of moved to, you know, Texas, and, and it was an extraordinary experience uh, integrating into a new culture and new society, and it's been a blast for the past 20 some long years. Tell me about your military service now. You went now just from being an immigrant to serving in the Army, and you had a very interesting role. Tell me about it. Um, well, I was um, an intel analyst. I, I went into the Army as a logistical specialist, but once they realized that I speak Farsi, they cross-trained me to become an intelligence analyst, moved me to the intelligence shop, and I was able to teach uh, Dari and Farsi to um, an infantry unit um, for about um, 18 months, two nine-months courses um, in garrison and also in country. When we were in Afghanistan, I held a nine-month course. Um, but along the lines of that responsibility, my primary job was to collect intelligence, interpret int intelligence, and provide cultural advice to uh, my commanders and some of the special operations groups while I was in Afghanistan. I honestly can't replace the work that I did in Afghanistan with anything else that I've ever done before or after. Which is likely why you turned your attention to staying in the military space some way, somehow. And now, along with the organization you founded, uh, tell me a little bit about what the AUSV does. Um, well, we put the Veterans Awards together first in 2015 before Academy of United States Veterans actually existed. Um, the award show was designed to um, create a recognition and accountability platform for veteran service organizations and other leaders in the community that were working in the veteran space, basically service after service. And um, after the first year, um, other organizations came up and said, if you do this again, we're going to support you. So after that, I founded the Academy of United States Veterans to be the legal umbrella for the veterans awards. But along the way, due to our connections with the entertainment industry and various um, powerful communities across the country, other organizations would partner with us so we can create major public relations campaigns for them and involve them in a lot of our activities. We have partnered with different movie studios, television studios, and we just like to bring vets together if we're not planning the vetties. And along the way, we honor those that are making huge impacts on society with an award known as the Vetti. And the coveted Vetti yes. Awards being uh, looked at now this year to be given to several people. Let's just talk about a few under the employment category. Uh, tell me a little bit about Colonel John Buckley, U.S. Army retired and uh, military relations manager for Coke Industries. Well, um, Colonel Buckley is very passionate about the transition of veterans from the military to the civilian world. He understands the struggles that come with um, integration into their new society. Nice. And along the same vein, there would be uh, another person that's up to win the award, another nominee, uh, the Call of Duty Endowment. Tell me a little bit about them. They help fund different programs for unemployed veterans. And so th th their, their mission is to help veterans um, find um, high-quality careers, careers that are going to uh, main, maintain that they're going to be feeling, they, they would feel comfortable in. 
And from what I know, that uh, the average starting salary that they aim for is between, you know, fifty-five to fifty-eight thousand dollars. And lastly, under that category, I nominee the Blue Star families. Tell me about them. Um, one of their employment programs um, that has made a huge impact in our communities is their military spouse employment. Um, it also includes veterans and their spouses. They provide them with opportunities that um, create financial stability for their families as they're transitioning out of the military. And um, they try to bridge that gap between their civilian and military life so there won't be any financial hardship. And you know what? Incorporating the spouse is a key element to the overall success of the veteran, too. I know that all of the groups that are on on your website are worthy and do great work. So I recognize a few of our friends here, and I'm glad you guys are able to shine a light on it. Uh, the party, of course, will be later on this month. What's the date, and where are we holding this year's Vetties? Um, fourth Vetties will be held at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. on January 20th, 2019. Um, we Our theme this year is America Through the Veterans Lens, and we are trying to kind of reverse the the, the conversation instead of um, getting um, uh, obtaining feedback from the community about our veterans. We're going to talk about what veterans think of America. And through the veterans lens, from what we know, America's golden. So the theme is very gold and glamorous and glitzy. And, and we're going to have, you know, um, a gold carpet instead of a red carpet and um the party will consist of a ceremony, which will last about an hour and a half, hosted by CNN's Jake Tapper. Um, we will also be making a salute to the last maverick, remembering um, the late Senator John McCain and President Bush Sr. And, um, of course, the, um, those will be the centerpiece of our of our award ceremony. And that guest list, uh, is there anybody special on the guest list that you've sent out? Uh, well, we have asked General John Kelly this year to be the keynote speaker of oh, okay. um, the show. So we're waiting for him to um, get back to us. I know he's in the middle of a transition, so it may take a few days. Um, of course, you know, we have invited a ton of celebrities. Uh, I know Neil Brown Jr. from SEAL Team has already confirmed to be a presenter. Um, Oscar-nominated actress Shohar Agdashlu has also um, agreed to be a presenter. She was in the House of Sun and Fog and the Nativity Story, and she's currently starring in the show Expanse. We are getting very, very close uh, with... Um, one of the Afflicks, and um, of course, General Colin Powell is invited. Uh, we have invited uh, the First Lady Melania and Ivanka Trump um, as, you know, our first family. And all the veterans who currently serve in Congress are also invited. And the way things are going, who knows might show up. I mean, you might get an SNL cast member and Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw, now Congressman Crenshaw from the 5th Absolutely. District of Houston. I mean, it, <laughs> of course, of course. It's always a fabulous party. I look forward to joining you at this year's Vettys. Again, date and time and place? Um, January 20th, 2019. It's a Sunday before Martin Luther King's Day, so it's a holiday the next day. So um, people can just sleep in at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C., And I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks, a few weeks. I'll be there with a drink in my hand. Asal Ravandi, president of the Academy of United States Veterans, talking about the fourth annual Vetti Awards. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Phil, for having me.
All right. I'm joined now in studio by my fellow reporter, Miss Kayla Jackson. How are you, Kayla? I'm doing good. Pretty cold, but I'm all right. <laughs> I know the snow that's ravaging the East Coast right now is not appealing to your uh, California soul. Is At it? all. I wasn't made for this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's warm up with this story that kind of got me hot under the collar when I read the headline. U.S. Supreme Court refuses to hear appeal on burn pits effects. Talk to me about those that have seen toxic exposure over in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and, and what this Supreme Court decision means to them. Is this is this ominous? I think this is a really big deal for something um, veterans really want to pay attention to because this is something, you know, a lot of vets in the post 9-11 era have been championing for years. Um, you know, we have um, VA disability, you know, guys and gals are getting out. They're realizing, hey, you know, we've been burning materials, CDs, human waste out in the air. And hey, I've been inhaling it. So that's probably not a pretty good idea. Right. Um, you know, when you come home and you've got breathing issues and, and a host of, you know, just other uh, health challenges. And some some people are now thinking, hey, it might be linked uh, to those burn pits. And there have been tons and tons of lawsuits uh, against a couple of companies who are kind of responsible for those open air burn pits and and some veterans and service members wanted to send it up, you know, to the highest court in the land. And the Supreme Court said, nah, we're actually going to let the military handle this one for you. Wow. OK. Now, what happened? Essentially, people were trying to sue not the military or the government, but they were suing who? Oh, so KBR Inc. and Halliburton Company, uh, two companies that uh, uh basically ended up forming. So they were responsible uh, for those burn pits, basically, you know, responsible for disposing the proper care and all of that. Um, And what happened was uh, some service members came home and there have been over, I want to say over 60 different lawsuits uh, for these companies saying, hey, you didn't take care of us, uh, you know, when we were downrange. Uh, They weren't properly disposed of. And as a result, we inhaled all these toxic fumes and you are to blame. And the Supreme Court said, actually, uh, because the military is the one who fielded out these contracts and said that the burn pits were basically uh, the most efficient way to get rid of documents, the most efficient way to get of uh, waste. Um, this is actually the military's problem. And it's really not our place to kind of impede in uh, whatever the military has going on. So this is kind of a conversation uh, for y'all to have. <laughs> so it's kind of analogous to if I were to say get sick in an army chow hall, mm-hmm. I don't sue the food service vendor that sold them the chicken nuggets that, you know, put me <laughs> praying to the porcelain God for two days. Exactly. I would have to sue. I would, I would have to sue the army base right. or in fact the army. Exactly. And that's, and that's basically what they're saying. And so basically it kind of bumped back down to a lower court appeal um, or lower court ruling that really was in favor of the contractors. And so it's kind of almost starting over again. Hmm. Uh, and so basically um, hopefully in the coming session, uh, the service members can kind of get the ball rolling on the hill to get some people in high places um, on the government kind of on this issue, because it's been something that they've been talking about for a long time. Now, when you say get things going on the hill, uh, are there any legislators currently that are trying to make legislation to address this so that people who may not even be suffering right now can be assured that there will be some sort of medical treatment and some sort of help down the road should they find themselves sick? Definitely. Like I said, veterans have been championing this for years. Last year, actually, uh, Representative Tulsi uh, Gibbard and Brian Mast, uh, both veterans also, they introduced the Burn Pits Accountability Act. And basically, this would force the government to do more research on what burn pits did 
um, you know, and are still doing um, to our men and women overseas. Not only would this push the research, but this would push um, not only the research, but also the VA to kind of take a look at this and say, okay, if you're having these issues, what can what kind of resources can you get? You know, what disability rating can you get? Um, Unfortunately, you know, we're in a new session, we're in a new Congress. And so um, IVA, a host of other um, VSOs are really trying to really get the legislation back on the ground in this new session, kind of give it some new life and new eyes on um, so that people are, um, you know, in the know about what burn pits really does to your body. Mm. Now, for the veteran that currently is experiencing some sort of medical issue that they suspect is related to this, what is the course of action for them? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, you know, you listen to this, it's like Supreme Court ruling, yada, yada, yada. That's all great. But what can I do right now? So you can actually go online to the VA's website. There's actually a burn pits registry. And this is really what you want to do, because this gives you a chance to put online in the VA system an account of the issues that you have. So whether that's breathing, um, whether you might have an extensive you know, disease, even mm-hmm. lung cancer, something as serious as that, yeah. and you think it's related to some toxic exposures, you can get that on pen and paper. Um, and the VA is using this um, to kind of bring all of these experiences and these accounts together so that they can better research it. And as of now, I believe there's about over 160,000 veterans who've so far um, put in their accounts of what burn pits have done to them. So that's really the first step that you want to do. Definitely get your name, get your um, your background on that burn pit registry and talk to your VSO. Talk to your, you know, your local representatives and say, hey, this is happening to me. How can we get the ball rolling on some legislation to, to get me the help that I need? And of course, going to the VA for your health care, probably one of the most important steps for anyone that's suffering right now. Kayla Jackson, I really appreciate you helping me stay informed and uh, kind of making this headline seem a little less scary, although... There's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of work to be done, but there is something that you can do. Kayla Jackson, ConnectingVets.com. Appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you. Now, for many of us, the month of January is about renewing. It's about recommitting ourselves to things that we might not have done so well in the previous year, like losing weight. But for those with a vice, like drugs and alcohol, this can be a critical time of the year. And that's why, throughout the month of January, the Real Warriors campaign is urging veterans and family members to reach out and discuss substance misuse, mental health concerns, and if you're drinking too much. Real Warriors campaign representative Air Force Tech Sergeant Bradley Blair is a certified alcohol and drug abuse counselor at the Defense Health Agency's Psychological Health Center of Excellence, and he's here today to answer some questions and tell us what kind of resources the Real Warriors campaign has for everybody. Tech Sergeant, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, sir, and thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I wanted to say I looked over the realwarriors.net website, and you guys have all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, You guys have articles about psychological health and resources for coping with stress, Talk to me about what we need to know. So around this time of year, one of the big things that we're looking for, um, if somebody's trying to cut down or stop their drinking and they're unable to, so say I set a New Year's resolution, I'm not going to drink for the month of January. And on January 2nd or 3rd, I'm finding myself drinking again. Uh, that's concerning to us. If, if I'm setting limitations, if I'm saying, you know, I'm not going to drink liquor, I'm only going to drink beer, and I, I can't meet that expectation, or I say, I'm only going to drink on Friday and Saturday night, and I find myself drinking on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, th- that's concerning. I can't stay within these limitations that I've set for myself. Um, if I, Over the course of my day, if I'm having this strong urge to drink, or it's the only thing I can think of, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk at 8 o'clock, and I'm thinking, goodness, I can't wait till 5 o'clock hits so I can have a drink, 
that that's concerning to us. We would encourage you to, to reach out for support there. Um, if it's affecting if it's affecting personal relationships in my life, or if it's affecting my uh, uh, professional performance, if my job performance is slipping, that that's concerning. These are some of the things we we look for, and we would encourage anybody that's running into these issues to uh, reach out for help. Now those seems to. Now, those seem to be, you know, the real warning signs. Those seem to be the super red flags that are almost kind of obvious. Are there less obvious signs? We're in this season now where it's winter, and I get together with a lot of my buddies and watch some football, and, you know, you know we drink some beers while we're doing it. Are there subtle signs that show I could be going down the road towards alcohol dependency? Yeah, uh, just like you said, there's there's things along those lines that I that I would look for as a, as a counselor if, you know, there, there's – Things that I used to to enjoy, say watching football or playing sports, or say I typically would go and play football on Sunday. I stopped doing that because it kind of interferes with my watching football and drinking. Or I can't do things that I used to enjoy sober. I have to have alcohol as I'm doing them. That that's concerning. You know, that's you're you're kind of going down a slippery slope. And and in the field, we always say you know early interventions best. So if there's anything like that, anything minor where you know somebody might make a comment about how much you're drinking or something, it, in a vacuum it seems kind of small. But early interventions best. Maybe it's maybe it's time to kind of assess where you're at and if you are drinking too much. Um, and that's something that we offer through the RealWarriors.net site. Is you know if I'm concerned, if I think well I'm not an alcoholic, but maybe there's an issue there. Maybe I, I need more information. I definitely encourage your listeners to check out the site and and, and do a little bit of research and, and see where they're at. Is there a magic number of like amount of drinks that you consume at a time that either is right or wrong? The Center for Disease Control and some of the different organizations have limitations, moderate drinkings, you know, one drink per sitting for a female and two for a male. To me, if, if you think you're drinking too much, if you don't want to be drinking at all, that's that's your number. So um, if, if somebody's interested in stopping completely, I would I would say I would encourage you to do so and and utilize some of these resources that you have available. What are some steps warriors and their loved ones can take to, uh, you know, learn about this and, and maybe take that first step towards getting some help or to change their lifestyle and behavior? Sure thing. So um, a lot of times we understand that the individual may be a little bit apprehensive about going to their primary care manager or their doc or their uh, specialty mental health cl- uh, clinic. That's understandable. If, if they want to take the first step and they're a little bit apprehensive about engaging, I would encourage them to go to the website and, and read through some of our articles and through some of our resources and kind of see where they're at, kind of do a self-assessment. Um, if we've got a service member that's apprehensive about engaging immediately, I'd also encourage them to contact our Psychological Health Resource Center. Um, it's a 24-7 confidential chat line. The phone number is 866 966 It gives them the opportunity to speak confidential, uh, confidentially with a trained consultant. The main thing is we want, we want to bring services to the service member. We want to make it as easy as possible to engage and get support, and, and that's what we're doing here with the Real Warriors campaign. How common is this for the veteran who you know maybe isn't even a combat veteran, but, but somebody who's done a whole career in the military and then gets out and is kind of on this sort of island of themselves as they integrate back into the civilian population? How common is alcohol and drug abuse? I work in the field, so that's what I see. I don't know that it's any more or any less uh, common than civilians on the outside. I will say uh, addiction doesn't discriminate. Addiction doesn't, doesn't care if you're a service member or not a service member. So we're all, all somewhat susceptible to it. 
Right on. And you are not alone as a veteran. There's services out there for you. Tell me more about where I can find the Real Warrior campaign. Yes, sir. So we're at realwarriors.net. We've got a Facebook site. Um, We've also got Twitter at Real Warriors and also the Psychological Health Resource Center. And that number is 866-966-1020. Tech Sergeant Bradley Blair, I appreciate everything you're doing in the drug and alcohol abuse counseling space. And and, and just uh, Godspeed to you. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, sir. And thank you for having me. And that'll do it for this episode of the CV Report. We'd like to thank all of our guests, including Tech Sergeant Bradley Blair from the Real Warriors campaign. You can find out more information on their website, realwarriors.net. And the founder of the Vetti Awards, Asal Rivandi. The Vetti Awards will be held Sunday, January 20th in Washington, D.C. at the Watergate Hotel. Master of Ceremonies will be CNN's Chief Washington Correspondent, Jake Tapper. Special guest presenters include retired four-star General George W. Casey, former U.S. Army Chief of Staff. And from Hollywood, Ian Bowen, star of Teen Wolf and the Dark Knight Rises. Neil Brown Jr., star of SEAL Team and Straight Outta Compton. And from films like Stand By Me and The Goonies, Mr. Corey Feldman will be presenting awards. For more information and to get tickets, go to vetty.org. Now, if you like this podcast, download the Radio.com app and you'll unlock a world of incredible podcasts, on-demand content, and radio stations from around the country. And if you found us in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, do me a favor, hit subscribe so we can always be on your phone when the new episode drops. If you've got a story idea or somebody you think we need to have on the show, you can email me directly, phil at connectingvets.com. In the meantime, we'll be looking for stories that are interesting to veterans because we're veterans too. I'm Phil Briggs. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk again the next time we file a CV report. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.